Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And welcome to our My Unorthodox Life recap. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Em. I am so excited to get into this. Like, this is my kind of reality TV. Excited is an understatement. I was about 10 seconds in to the first episode of this season, and I out loud said to myself, this is how you do reality television. I also think this season was superior to the first. Well, I felt like I was having a white lotus moment where I was like, oh, I kind of understand what people are saying when they're like, wow, season two is so much better than season one. Because for me, this blew season one out of the water. Well, one of the biggest differences between season one and season two that I feel we have to acknowledge right off the bat is that if you guys remember, throughout the entirety of season one, never once did they acknowledge Silvio's involvement in La Perla or Elite World Group in terms of getting to Julia where she is, which to make something very clear, her story is impressive regardless, but there were a lot of cracks that needed to be filled in. It wasn't until after the show aired as we were all watching, we're getting on Google trying to understand the connection. And then it makes a lot more sense that Silvio's company owned La Perla. It owned Elite World Group. And so those omissions, you know, were never presented to us as the viewer. So now season two, they hit the ground running as if we all knew that information, which we did, but we only knew it from Googling it. Never once did they mention that to us. Well, that was what was so interesting for me going into this season is because I left season one with kind of a bad taste in my mouth. I really enjoyed Julia as a character. I really felt like there's nobody like her, but I almost because of the omissions felt like she was maybe an untrustworthy narrator, especially because not just the Silvio aspect of it, but like a lot of it didn't fully add up the her leaving this insular community in Muncie and all of a sudden having the shoe line was like the connecting of the dots was very difficult for me. And so I felt like because of so much of the omissions of her story or so many things that were left out, I guess maybe I didn't fully, I I, I trust her. I, I don't know what it was, but I just didn't leave season one excited to watch season two. I think I literally said to you, you know, I don't, I don't think we need to do a full episode on this. And then we started getting a million DMs and I was like, okay, you know what? Like, obviously 
people are into it. And like I said, 10 seconds into the episode, I went, oh my God, this is reality TV. And I felt like watching this season. I don't know if I'm drinking the Kool-Aid or what it is, but what Julia Hart is selling, I am fully buying. Oh, me too. And I am not shy to say that. I mean, I think regardless of how you feel about her, you at least have to acknowledge that she is a very captivating presence. And she interacts with the world in a way that we're not used to people doing. And I I can't get enough of it. Like Even when I disagree with the way that she may handle things, I still find myself glued to the TV and and just know that in a conversation with her, I think that I would be just taken by by the way that she operates. I think so too. And also it's not just the way that she operates, but there's also a warmth to her, which by the way, was not lost on me in season one. Throughout the entire thing, her role as a mother was not lost on me. But this season, I really, I felt very, very connected to that aspect of her. I don't know. I just, there's just something about her. Like I said, there's just no one like her. She operates in a way where I've never seen anyone operate her openness, her business sense, all of it, which actually leads me to the next point in discussing the Silvio divorce because we have to get into it. I was so shocked at the way it was handled at first because it felt like the complete antithesis to who we know her as a person to be. Well, yeah. And you know, that's the thing, because of course we're introduced to this divorce plot line with her understanding that it's going to be a very amicable split. They don't have a need for lawyers, which of course we're watching this. And to your point, I was totally shocked by the fact that she agreed to that. I thought that she would be the first one to immediately go seek legal counsel, legal advice, just have someone in her corner in the event that things went awry. But as the season started to go on, I had a much better understanding to where she was at at that point, meaning she made it very clear, and so did her kids, that at the end of that relationship, she was not herself. And so it, to me, it ended up making a lot more sense why this move of agreeing to no lawyers was so out of character. It was out of character because she wasn't herself. Right. And that's exactly it. I mean, where the season starts, which, by the way, is maybe one of the strongest reality TV starts to a season you could ever have is Silvio literally moving out of the apartment. And what we're being told at the time and what Julia's being told at the time, may I add, is that this is going to be a very amicable divorce. No reason for lawyers. All of the paperwork is said, done, signed, no issues there. You know, everything is going to be taken care of and she has nothing to worry about. But what we learn as this episode goes on is that the reason for the divorce is because Silvio could not stand to be in the same room as her kids. And Julia says she was having two dinners a night, one with her kids, one with him, because he could not stand to be around them. And the reason that she really finally pulled the trigger on the divorce is because Aron came home crying, not wanting to be there because he felt like Silvio hated him because he couldn't even talk to him. And so it was so shocking to me for Julia to have all of that information, especially knowing the mother that she is, and for her not to be like, okay, well, you know what? Even if this does go amicably, let me at least be equipped just in case, because the Silvio that I'm seeing here, especially in regards to my children, is not the Silvio I once knew. And I say that having a reflection of the Silvio we knew in season one, which was an entirely different person. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that honestly, the way that this season opened with first doing the flashback to season one, and then just having that still shot of the penthouse with boxes all over the place was brilliant in that it really tried to convey to us, you know, the first season we were witnessing this fairy tale and the second season is going to get a lot more raw. But at fear of sounding naive, let me tell you, 
I didn't feel as though the fairy tale she was selling to us in season one was one that she was not actually living or one that she was not actually buying. Like the way that she discussed Silvio and their relationship with so much enthusiasm, I think she felt that enthusiasm. So I still don't think we got a clear enough understanding of what took place from season one to season two to get to this point. Yeah, the kids, of course, they're, you know that wasn't sustainable, but it was more than that because the kids alone would not make it turn so dark. No, I mean, you went from a situation where even even with the kids, even as terrible as it seemed like he was to them, it, it didn't seem like he was going to turn on Julia in this way. And in season one, especially in the first episode, the way it starts off is like he is the stand up guy who loves her more than anything in the entire world. And is like a real man took her last name is so in awe of what she's built and who she is and definitely could stand to be in the same room as the kids. That was certainly not an issue that we saw in season one. And so the switch from that person to what we see throughout the season, which is somebody literally trying to ruin her life, destroy her reputation, take everything from her, uh, ruin her family, ruin everything that she's built or worked for. I, I, I That's the disconnect. And it, it actually is interesting to me because you watch Julia really struggle with the fact that he's doing this, but I feel like the question that I had, which I don't feel like she even had time to process, which is like, who is this person? Well, yeah, I mean, the behavior that he was exhibiting here is one that she clearly did not believe him to be capable of, as evidenced so clearly by the fact that she was willing to do this divorce without lawyers, which, as I was saying previously, is, of course, a testament to how kind of broken down she was by the end of this relationship. And so she was in a position where she could do something so out of character. But also, you have to have a certain view of a person and view them in such a high regard to really trust their character. And I think it's similar to what we talked about with Chloe of like, in, yes, you're processing the trauma that's going on, but also you're questioning yourself of like, is my judge of character really not as solid as I thought it was? Which is the most disorienting feeling that you could have. Exactly. I, there is so much here, Julie. Like I know this is about to get real chaotic because I want to hit on every single plot point and it's physically impossible. If we hit on every single plot point and discussed each one in depthly, is that a word? As I would want to, I think that we would actually be here from now until the next season gets released. And in, in, this would never happen, obviously, but in a hypothetical world where there was like no news for just a month straight, I would say we should do one episode on every episode because it's really, it's really that good. We could do it like we do the Kardashians. For the record, I could do an episode every single week on just Robert and have that be a consistent show for us. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. 
And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. Apartments.com believes the dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. And listen, we all have our non-negotiables in terms of what we really want when looking for an apartment. I know for me, natural light has always been really important. I just know myself and I am a happier person when I have that natural light throughout the day. And I also told myself that in my next place, I will definitely have a washer and dryer because you just can't beat that convenience. And I know it can be hard to find, but when you find it, I think it is so worth it. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit apartments.com, the place to find a place. I already know I'm going to struggle talking about this Robert and Rayette relationship because as of now, in real time, they're still together, seemingly very in love. And genuinely, I just want Robert to be happy. Whatever makes him happy makes me happy. But I would be lying to you if I said that throughout watching, I didn't feel very concerned at various times. Like, I think Riot is a very entertaining presence. I think that he's a good support system. I think he's a good person. But I felt that there were a lot of red flags being super visible throughout the episode that I didn't feel were being given enough attention to by really anyone. Did you feel like as the season went on, those resolved on any level for you or it was just because I agree like there were a lot of things especially it wasn't the open relationship as much as the disregard for Robert's feelings about it and so I think that's an important starting point but was there anything about that situation and other things that were concerning to you that began to resolve as the season went on so not the open relationship I I want to talk about that in a second I will say generally yes you know when they're standing in Syracuse, which by the way, like, wasn't that weird for us? Cause I passed cross college every single day. <laughs> did we know that they were filming up there at any point? I don't think so. Or if we did, I totally forgot because when he's like, oh, that's new house. I was like, you are literally on my walk through campus every single day. It was crazy. No, that was crazy. And yeah, when he was proposing to him in front of that choir, I was hysterically crying, which I don't think I would have been if I thought that he was really a bad guy and that they weren't in love. I don't think that. I don't think he's a bad guy. And I do think they're in love. It was just the conversations around the open relationship thing that I couldn't look past, which just to clarify, I'm the last one to judge an open relationship. I was in one for a lot of years. And I think if it works for you, it works great. It's more so that Robert was so clearly uncomfortable with this. And I don't think that Raed went to enough lengths to make him feel comfortable. I actually think, if anything, he went the opposite direction, which like, there were so many things that needed to be handled here. First of all, if this is a deal breaker for you to not be in one, and this is a deal breaker for you to be in one, then what are we doing here? Because you shouldn't have to contort to something that feels entirely unnatural. And then second of all, if there was a world in which Robert was going to get comfortable with it, which he kind of maybe did in his own way, there was a gentleness that I felt could have been exhibited from Red in that meantime. And I felt it wasn't there. Like you're sitting 
outside talking about the situation and you can't help but you know, check out everyone that walks by, which like under normal circumstances, fine. People are human. They're attracted. It's just like, here's this person who has so clearly struggled with confidence and insecurity for so many years. They are finally feeling maybe the most confident version of themselves, but it's, it's taking them a minute. And I, I, I couldn't get past how selfish I thought he was behaving. How'd you feel? Am I off? No, you're not off at all. It's it's so interesting because I felt that way too. I felt like it was a lot of disregard for Robert's feelings while operating under the assumption that it was okay because he loved Robert. And I think that was where the huge disconnect was because one has nothing to do with the other. You know what I mean? You don't get a pass just because you do love him. And I do think he loves him. What was interesting to me is there are all of these kind of obvious red flags there and, and things that were definitely concerning as you're watching. And Julia, who's probably the person closest to Robert, really doesn't have any of those feelings towards Ryad. She feels very secure in this relationship when they have that conversation where Batsheva says how she feels about this open relationship and says like, yeah, maybe you should break up. Like if it was me, I, I wouldn't be able to. And Ryad gets very sensitive about it and brings it up at the table. And Julia immediately is like, don't break up. Oh my God, are you kidding? Like, are you, are you crazy? Like, do not break up with this wonderful man, Red. And it was like, maybe, maybe we're seeing a different side of things because if the person closest to her, who's very protective over him, isn't really concerned about any of those things, maybe it's a different view watching. I don't know. It was like the disconnect between us and Julia, I felt was very apparent. Right. And obviously I trust her opinion on the situation way more than I trust ours. She knows him in a far deeper capacity. There was a part of me though, that felt that she's never seen Robert in a relationship like this before. You know, I mean, even last season, a huge plot line was her trying to get him to put himself out there. So I think there's probably a part of Julia that regardless of the person, assuming it was someone that there was a real love there would, would probably be overwhelmingly happy about it. But it's more than just that because she's not someone who settles and she's not someone that has a scarcity mindset. And so I, I agree with you. I trust her opinion more than I trust ours. But, you know, I, I don't know how all of a sudden Batsheva became the bad guy at the table. And like, yeah, does she present things in the most graceful way? No. Is she the softest, most sensitive person? No. But her point stood. Like, she, I don't know. I I I felt really unsettled watching a lot of their conversations because I felt that Robert was being so open with his discomfort and I felt that it was being discarded. And I have to, I guess, you know, you watch a show like this and you know, they're together in real time. You have to trust that they've resolved it and that he's not doing something that goes against what he feels internally good about. But the solution isn't that Robert should then be able to do the open relationship in a way that works for him. Because if it was up to him, I don't think he'd be doing an open relationship in general. So I also like when they were sitting in therapy, okay, yes, they came to some conclusions, but I, I didn't feel that it was coming from a place of Robert actually wanting this. I felt it was coming from a place of Robert feeling like this is the way that I can do it to make it work for you. And I just, I don't know. There's something inside of me that didn't feel that was fair. No, I completely agree. I mean, and I do think there's a resolve here that makes both of them happy. I don't necessarily know what that is. It seems like they were in that therapy session, maybe coming to something that was close to that. Although it, it definitely seems like they needed a lot more work and a lot more boundary setting and rule setting in order to make that really come together. I think that when Ryad talks about his coming out story and talks about how he was so closeted for so much of his life that he feels like he's making up for lost time now, 
I think that is potentially something that could resonate with Robert because when Robert talks about his coming out story, it's very different than Riot's. And so I think that that understanding that they didn't have the same experience is something that that Robert can potentially understand and work with and, and maybe come to some sort of an arrangement with because of that fact. I just think it's interesting that I think it's interesting that they did have all of these problems kind of left unresolved and then all of a sudden they were getting engaged. I know. And and I was watching that, like really trying to be in the moment of being so happy for both of them and not trying to sit back almost like a, a critic or a hater of like, wait, we got a lot of shit we got to resolve here. But I guess I, I was, it's hard to watch and not put yourself in that position. And like, I don't know how I would feel if somebody did this whole grand gesture for me, got down on one knee, knowing that we're in the midst of figuring out something that could potentially really be a major issue. I don't think that he's a bad guy. I really don't. I think he's fun. I think he's exciting to be around. I think he's super enthusiastic about life. I think he's deeply loyal. Like I I don't dislike the guy at all, but there was almost a part of me that maybe felt that he was consciously or subconsciously taking advantage of the fact that he knows Robert has never had a love like this in this way. And that you know, for Robert, that counts for a lot, obviously. Like you, to to be adored is an unbelievable feeling. And I do think this was the first time Robert felt deeply adored in this way. It's just like, I, I, I don't know. I think that the person you're with needs to make you feel the absolute most secure. And if you are being transparent enough to tell them that the way they are wanting to lead their life is something that doesn't make you feel that way and at times doesn't make you feel enough, if you're not okay with stopping it, that's okay. But I think you owe it to them. To, I don't know. I just felt there was a sensitivity lacking and I, I'm struggling with it because I I want them to be happy and they're together in current day. There's nothing to be done about it. I just can't lie and tell you that I didn't feel that way because I did. No, I think so too. And also, and this is something that, that does get resolved, at least from what we saw I didn't realize, or I guess I wasn't paying attention enough to fully pick up on the fact that Riot didn't have a job at all. I didn't realize what an issue that was. And when he calls Robert's mother to ask for permission, I understand that hesitation from her and saying like, you've been working for two weeks and you want to propose to my son. And he says, well, by the time we get married, I'll be working for a year, let's say. But that was a huge other thing. It's like, here you have Robert, who is not only sacrificing some of his own wants and beliefs in order to make you happy in terms of having an open relationship that he doesn't want, but he's also financially supporting you like that. Yeah, I agree with you. There were a lot of things there that, that were left definitely undiscussed, but at the same time, I think they had a very beautiful story in terms of where they met, where they came together when they were at Syracuse and and getting engaged. I was crying too, because it's such a beautiful story they had from the start of their relationship to where they are now, the way that the family really rallied around him and the way that he rallied around the family was something that I was really impressed by. And so, I don't know, I had a lot of really mixed feelings on this one. No, me too. My thoughts were conflicting. I just wasn't as all in as like Julia was. But again, (laughs) she knows these people in real life, which I forget sometimes that we don't. Right, exactly. Doing your hair has the potential to be such a time-consuming process if you're not using products that really work for you and honestly really work with you. And for me, I'd say generally speaking, my hair is pretty easy to manage, but it does get frizzy. I have a lot of split ends, so I'm always looking for things to manage the frizz. And recently I've been into a new product from Way. It's their anti-frizz cream. 
So it's a really lightweight cream. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours and also heat protection up to 450 degrees. You're kind of killing two birds with one stone. Then the thing I really like about it is that it helps reduce and repair split ends while quenching dry hair with intense hydration. So you can feel like it just feels good on your hair. For me, I get out of the shower. I always spray in the leave-in conditioner. I've told you guys about that before, but I love it. A little anti-frizz cream and you're good to go. I also, I mean, I love a lot of things from Way, but I like their detox shampoo. I don't use that every week, maybe once a week, maybe once every other week, but I feel like it gives my hair a really, really good clean. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code CELEBS for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code CELEBS. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. I really want to talk about Bacheva and this new journey that we're on with her because where we left her last season is totally different world than where she's at today. It's funny because I was thinking about when Bacheva and Ben announced that they were getting divorced. My immediate thought was like, oh, season two is going to be lit. I was like, this is going to be the entire theme of it or the the juice of the of the season. And then in a you know, shocking turn of events, it ended up being Julia and Silvio instead of the divorce between Bacheva and Ben, that was the real highlight. But we did get little glimpses into what happened. But I think that what was done really well about it was it was so much more about Bacheva exploring this newfound independence and really growing into herself as a person rather than kind of dealing with the aftermath of the divorce in a sense. Right. I mean, if you remember last season, I think one of the first or second episodes is her wearing pants for the first time in public and her and Ben having that really open conversation in the kitchen about why he's uncomfortable with that. Like she has undergone so many life changes in just a year. And I think as it applies to her relationship with Julia, which I could actually talk about for forever. I mean, we could do multiple episodes just on Julia's relationship with each kid, but you know, the thing that Julia maybe wants the most for Bacheva is this independence, right? And now for the first time in her life, she's really having that. She's living alone for the first time. She's having all these experiences, yet the way that that's coming across is not aligning with the way that I think Julia would ideally want in terms of supporting her. And so you see that conflict arise when the root of the conflict is actually something that Julia, in theory, really wants for Bacheva. And I know it's deeper than that. Like, that's a massive oversimplification. There was a lot going on, of course, what Julia was going through was really traumatic. But you see that the independence that Julia, I do genuinely believe, wants for her, there's a part of her that also wants it on her terms. Right, which is such an interesting view of the situation. And I don't actually think it's one that I fully had until they were in therapy together. And I think that 
Batsheva was really able to explain her position and her boundaries and what she needed from Julia at that time. I don't think I was fully able to understand Batsheva's side of it until that moment, because I think that I was still viewing what was happening with the other siblings in comparison to Batsheva, where, you know, Julia's going through the most difficult time in her life, or one of, (laughs) and Shlomo and Miriam are really rallying around her. They are a constant presence in the apartment. They're doing everything that she needs. They know exactly what's going on. They know exactly how to help her. And Batsheva's kind of giving what she can. And she's showing up and then popping in and leaving. And, and, and she's not there for Julia in the same way that the other kids are, which there was nothing wrong with. And I think it took until they were able to have that conversation for the true understanding of like, I'm also going through something right now. And I can't fully give you that right now because I have to take care of myself. And I think it was a very interesting conversation about what they both needed from each other. No, the whole dynamic is fascinating, specifically when you compare it to the way that I think Julia views her relationships with her other children, because they really are so different. That conversation that they had pre-therapy when they're sitting in the apartment, that was as raw as it gets, because Julia's in the midst of crisis mode, and they're really just talking openly about a situation that they hadn't discussed before. And I was saying to myself, like, God, I wish that I could have sent this one clip to my therapist and then we could have discussed it because I have to imagine that if you're watching that as someone with any sort of like a family therapy background, that you think Julia's expectations are really out of line and that like, of course, as a family, you are all meant to support one another. But I think that she wanted Bot to behave in the way that a mother would maybe behave and that's just not the role. She is a child who is also navigating her own independence and her own struggles. The issue is that, and it's not an issue because it's just her personality, but Batsheva does not have that same warmth that like a Miriam has. And so even when what she's doing, I don't think there was anything actually wrong with, it comes across as far colder and maybe a little bit more removed because I don't think she communicates that same compassion that someone like a Miriam communicates. It's just a very different relationship. So I'm watching that and on one hand, like, yeah, you're seeing Batsheva try to get Julia to get a massage in the middle of, you know, her trying to find these very important legal documents. It was a little bit disjointed. It didn't make entire sense. And maybe you had a little bit of a frustration for Batsheva. Totally. At the same time, though, she should feel comfortable to voice to Julia that this is where she's currently at. This is the boundary that she needs. These are things that she was upset about. And this is how she needs to have the relationship work in order to maintain her sanity as well, while trying to be there for her in the best way that she knows how. And I think that it was really unfair of Julia to compare the way that she was behaving to the way that a Miriam or a Shlomo were behaving. Because if you saw Miriam was taking on a lot of Julia's emotional distress, which there's nothing wrong with, but like maybe Batsheva couldn't handle that at that moment. You know, there's a certain amount of self-protection that goes on. But then when you get to therapy and they're really talking about it and she explains to Julia that she's let that resentment go and it's not what Julia thinks. This is just a new phase of her life and she needs to be understanding of the way that she communicates that closeness. Like, that was such a healthier resolve because what was going on initially, I think even Julia watching that back would not feel great about the way that that was presented. What do you think? I I had so many thoughts on this scene. I think the first thing is that it's not just that Julia was comparing Bot to the other kids. I think Julia was comparing Bot to Bot. And there has been a big change primarily in their relationship And that's part of what Julia was expressing. And that was the part of the conversation where I think I had a little bit more sympathy for Julia. Um, 
because there was a very clear dynamic change in their relationship. If you watch back to season one, uh, Bacheva is going to her for everything. They have this very open line of communication. They are as close as, you know, her and Miriam appear to be in season two. And so I think that what happened is that as Bot got divorced and she gained this independence, she took a look at the relationship that she had with her mother and realized that there had to be more boundaries there for the sake of herself. I think that what the issue arose from was that maybe those boundaries weren't communicated correctly. And that's what we saw in therapy, which is why I think that scene was so satisfying as the viewer, both for Bacheva and for Julia, is because those boundaries were kind of finally being explained in a really clear way. I think that with Julia, there is a certain amount of forgetting about her past in the way that she presents herself because she presents herself as the boss. Like she knows exactly what's going on. She is so sharp. She is so quick. She is the problem solver of all problem solvers. And I think that there is a part when you're viewing her that you kind of forget how much trauma she still has. And so, you know how they say like celebrities freeze at the age they got famous? I think Mm -hmm. that there's a certain amount of Julia that we forget is also frozen at a certain age because, you know, when she left the community, it was her starting over. So there's a certain sense where, although she is the mother and Bacheva is the child, they're almost the same age in terms of navigating this new life. And I think that that was a part of it for both of them that was forgotten it. And that plays a huge, huge role in it. You know, that's a really common trend on TikTok where it's like me when I realized that this is my parents' first time doing life too. I think that was a huge part of the dynamic here where it's like they both kind of forgot this is their first time doing this. Right, of course. And I think that there is a grace that needs to be given there on both ends. I just think that, you know, something I sometimes get a little bit frustrated with with Julia, and this is coming from someone who's fucking obsessed with her. Like I cannot get enough of the woman flaws at all is that because she has come so far in her journey and really you know removing the constraints that were placed on her at a young age and and has walked so firmly into this new independence and this strength and a lot of that is her openness and how she doesn't want to be told that she can't talk about certain things things are no longer taboo i which which is beautiful i think she maybe sometimes forgets that like that's not everyone's same experience so when they flash back to last season and she put in that entire conversation about Bacheva and Ben's sex life in her book and yes, heard maybe Bacheva's upset, but was really so focused on why that was important to the journey. Like, as I'm reminded of those scenes, it makes a lot more sense to me why Bacheva felt that she needed to put these boundaries in place because she's not at the place that Julie is at in terms of the radical openness. And I, I often feel that Julia at times lacks an understanding for that because she's so... And with good reason, she is so opposed to the closed off mindset that she had to have for so many years that she sometimes realizes like radical openness isn't necessarily the only way. Right. And I think that Julia oftentimes feels like if you're not radically open, then you're closed off. I think that she forgets about that in between or hasn't necessarily explored that in between or maybe doesn't understand that so much of her radical, not doesn't understand, I think she knows that so much of this radical openness is a trauma response and is a direct result of feeling so closed off. I think that she sometimes lacks the understanding of, even though they came from the same community, 
her experience with the community was not necessarily her kids' experience with the community. And so the reaction to leaving isn't necessarily going to be the same. For example, Batsheva, who last season was still modern Orthodox, and she's come really far in her own journey of what she wants her religion to be and her marriage to be and all of these different things. But just because she has gotten to that point in her journey doesn't mean that her reaction to where she came from is going to be the same reaction that Julia had. Right. And even if we want to just move totally into the present day, forgetting about what took place previously, which of course you can't forget because so much of that dictates the way that their relationship is currently. Like to me, I'm watching this and you know me, Julie, like I am as sexually open as they come. I don't understand how you as the mother don't understand that your daughter would maybe be a little bit put off by the fact that you are telling an entire table, let alone national television, that your daughter squirts. Like I, I, I just think something gets a little bit lost in translation at times. And Batsheva knows Julia's not changing. You know, I, I don't believe that this is a woman who's changing. And maybe that's for the better. I don't know. So what she knows to do is the only thing that she can control, which is her reaction and her boundary. And so she needs to take a step back in order to feel entirely protected and actually in order to have a healthy relationship with Julia. Listen, if you're watching this and you're comparing her to the other kids, no. was Did she handle it in the same way? Absolutely not. I just feel that like, even if she doesn't rub you the right way, you can't, she, she's not, she can't be wrong on this one. I don't think that she's wrong on this one. I think it, the only thing I will say is that I don't think she has a full enough understanding of like, if Julia loses, she loses as well. I think that that's something that's maybe a little bit lost on her and maybe all of them in general, because it may be just too scary of a reality to confront. So maybe that I can understand. But other than that, like I think she had every right to express how she was feeling and, and I don't know, handle her, her boundaries in the way that she saw fit. No, I, I don't think that she's wrong either. And I don't think that setting boundaries is something that she should be faulted for. I will say, though, in watching these scenes, there was also two conversations happening at once. One was the conversation about her being present during their time of need. And I say their time because it wasn't just Julia's. That is a huge piece of it. If Julia loses, they all lose. They all lose this lifestyle that they have become so accustomed to. And none of them want that. And I don't think Bacheva on any level um, was fully processing that in the moment. So that's one thing. The second conversation was about their closeness and their relationship and, and the journey that it has taken. And so in either of those cases, I don't fault Bacheva for protecting herself and protecting her mental health and whatever she needed to do because she was going through a lot at the same time. I will say, however, I think that Bacheva could have handled it differently or explained herself better in a way that could have avoided the feelings that Julia necessarily felt. Because I think that instead of, for example, not fully showing up when she, when all of the other siblings were really rallying around Julia in this major way and doing everything she could. I think that had Batsheva just said right off the bat, you know, I am going through a lot right now. I need to protect myself too, but I am here to do whatever, you know, I am capable of doing for you. That's a completely different conversation than just showing up with a masseuse. You know, I think there are things that could have been explained better in their relationship when they're talking about the boundaries and the closeness that they have. Instead of saying, which is a line that didn't sit right with me, and I know she wasn't wrong, Fran, I know it's not necessarily what she meant, but when Batsheva says, like, I can't give you that closeness that you're looking for, there are different ways to word that in a way that doesn't 
hurt somebody whose entire family has abandoned them and doesn't speak to them anymore. And I think that was an understanding that Batsheva maybe needed to have about Julia. But at the same time, Batsheva is not wrong for setting boundaries with her mother. And Julia needs to have a better understanding of my kids are not going to process and approach the world and each other and me in the same way that I would do it. No, I hear you. And also the thing that I want to make really clear is like, I so consciously had to try to watch this objectively because (laughs) you know me, (laughs) there is no one in this world, I don't believe, that has a closer relationship with their parents, had with their mom, has with their dad than, than me. So I you know what I would have been in that week. Like I would not have left that apartment. That's not necessarily the right thing. It's just what I would have done. So I was really actively watching it and not trying to compare it to the way that I maybe would have handled it because that doesn't mean that it's right. It's just a different relationship. And there are so many things that go into play there. So yeah, it was, that was fucking good TV though. Oh my God. Are you kidding? This entire thing is just solid gold television. I mean, first of all, I have to give my props to Shlomo because he did nothing but show up, be by Julia's side, and also be so open about the fact that he's still a virgin. And like I, from a reality TV standpoint, have to give him his due. <laughs> no, Shlomo's a sweetheart. You know, you gotta, you gotta just hand it to the kid. He's he's doing the best that he can, and I really, truly believe he could not hurt a fly. I just want him to try to. We got to figure out a way to get him some more of that confidence. You know. I know. I, I, you know, I like keep trying to think of who to set him up with too. Like I'm watching the show. I'm like, do I have anybody for him? Like, I just want him to like have that. (laughs) I have passed both him and Ben on dating apps multiple times throughout the last year. And I've always said to myself, like exactly as you, who could I set him up with? It hasn't come to me, but maybe one day it will. You know, what was a really interesting part of, of the episode when, Bacheva says that she ran into Ben on the street. Yes, I would. Oh my God, what would you have done for footage of that? Anything. M, anything. Especially because, like, yes, the writing was on the wall. Their relationship was not going to work out. They had a very different set of desires for the future, but they were best friends. Like, they had each other in moments when they didn't have anyone else. And I don't think that that closeness ever entirely goes away. So I, I wonder, you know, what does it look like 10 years down the line if they run into each other again? Not to ever get back together, but did they still hold on to that closeness and that bond that they once had? I feel like on some level that doesn't entirely go away. I really just want them to be best friends. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know why I desire that so deeply because obviously, like, it's her ex-husband. It is way too new of a wound for them to just be like, okay, we're still friends. But they did have such a beautiful friendship at the at the very least. Like, I think they had a really beautiful relationship and I loved watching them in season one. But like, they just fundamentally differed on so many things. And especially as it was getting time for them to have a family, I think that this decision to divorce was just inevitable, unfortunately. But I can tell she misses having her best friend and I'm sure he does too. Oh, totally. I think that there was a safety there that they felt with one another that's really hard to replicate. And on some levels, you're always searching for that, you know? Absolutely. I really want to talk about Aron. Oh, I thought you were going to say Miriam. Okay, let's talk okay, about Okay, we can Aron. do Miriam and then Aron. No, no, no. Let's do Aron. I think Miriam's probably, there's more there. What did you think of the entire situation? And specifically, what did you think of the way that Julia handled this? Because in my opinion, when we're talking about her different strengths as a mother and openness and all of the other qualities. I think that 
this situation actually was the part of the show that exhibited her parenting the best. I completely agree. I thought that conversation with him in the kitchen about going to yeshiva was exemplary. I didn't feel she was shaming him for his interests. I didn't think that she was dissuading him from pursuing that in the future. I think that she was saying, which was very reasonable, while you were in high school for these next two years, I, as your parent, have control over your education. And I am more than happy to infuse your life with as much Judaism as you want. I'm happy to commit my time, my resources, my money into getting you that tutor. But I feel very sure that this education at a base level is important and I'm not willing to stray from that. And I I think it's really hard when your kid would so clearly like you more if you just did the easy thing and she stood firm in her beliefs while not shaming him. And I can't blame her for that. No, I definitely can. Even something that really struck me was when they're talking about what Aaron is going to do over the summer. And he says that he's going to Israel. And she says, are you doing a program? Are you doing yeshiva? And he says, no, he's going to stay with, I think he refers to them as Bubby and Zeta, which are Julia's parents who do not speak to her. They have completely kind of excommunicated her. None of Julia's family now speaks to her. And so even her ability to not react to that and immediately kind of cuts to confessional where she says, yeah, it it really deeply hurts me that he still has a relationship with my parents who will not even kind of acknowledge my existence. For her to not interfere in that way or deprive him of that relationship, honestly, that really, really impressed me because I don't know how easy that is to do. No, I don't think it's easy. I mean, she really has to separate her trauma from clearly something that her child is very interested in and connected to. And she has to find a way, which she has, of allowing him to explore what he wants to explore and dive deeper into that while also exposing him to another side of things. I mean, when he was trying to frame it as like, I'll go to yeshiva, I'll come home at nine and then I'll have a tutor. And she kind of flipped it and was like, no, you'll come home from the school you're in now. And I'm more than happy to get you a religious tutor. I will drive them here. We will drive them back. Like to me, that was a a perfect way to honor his interests while also standing firm in what she believes to be the, the responsible parent thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I I really, I was, I was impressed. And uh, I have to tell you the way that you were crying when Robert and Red got engaged, like I was so deeply emotional at the part where Julia is saying that she cannot leave the house because Silvio is threatening to come and clear everything out. And she, as the homeowner has to be there and her lawyers told her, do not walk out of the house. And she can't take him to the Super Bowl. And she's like, I will never forgive Silvio for taking this from me. Like, I fucking lost it. I was so upset for her in that moment. I know. And it's like such an outrageous circumstance that is so larger than life when you really think about it. Like, she can't take her son to the Super Bowl because she is stuck in her $65 million Tribeca penthouse so that her malicious ex-husband doesn't come in and steal the belongings while she's not present. Like, that is a crazy scenario to wrap your head around. But that was her reality that she was living. And it was, I, I so hear you, especially because like, you know, she's not willing to just lay down with our own. She is standing firm in what she wants, but I'm sure it hurts her on some level. Having to be the quote, bad guy hurts, you know? And so this was an opportunity to like not be the good guy, but to do the fun parent thing that I don't think in his eyes she is. And so it was so much more than just not being able to have the experience with him. It was also on top of it. Like it, it was 
not allowing her to lean more into the side of parenting that she doesn't get to explore that much with him. And like, what a fucking knife to the heart. Silvio is a real motherfucker for that one. Silvio is a real motherfucker. I'll never forgive him either. What a fucking, I mean, the way that that went down, because I have to say, Watching these articles come out in real time and not seeing it on the show was crazy enough. And you were kind of like, okay, what, what is going on here? But to get the background of the way that he was just trying to destroy her and destroy her life and take everything from her. It was like, you, I, I don't think that I ever expected seeing those articles that that's how it was going to be. That she was just so blindsided by all of this. I, I really... I, I know that, you know, it's, it's of course reality television. And so there's a certain part of you that when you're watching it almost separates it from the real people, even though, you know, and you're very consciously aware of the fact that these are real people in their real lives. I, I was watching that and I would checked in for a moment and I was like, holy shit. I also think there was a part where you're watching her, especially in comparison to last season, kind of under so much stress that she's not eating and like, actually like withering away before your eyes in a very dangerous and concerning way that her kids are very scared about. And so you're not only seeing what's happening to her, you're seeing the toll that it's taking on her. Oh my God. Like what a really intense thing to have videoed and broadcasted to the world. I know. And the other thing is that once you have the understanding that we get in the very beginning that Silvio basically hated her children and could not be around them. I think that him having the understanding that like he's out of that penthouse and her kids are there, I genuinely believe that that contributed to him being so malicious. I think that if Julia was living there alone, I don't know if he would have made her life as miserable. I think that he had a really hard time coming to terms with the fact that her kids, who he already felt ruined their marriage and who he really cannot stand, were then like reaping the benefits of something that he felt he was entitled to. I I honestly think it's sick to say, but I think that that contributed to the way that he was going about this. A million percent, a million percent, yes. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists. Like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, New Kids on the Block, Sean Paul, Sum 41, Whitney Cummings, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash concertweek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash concertweek to buy now. People have so many different hacks for getting a good night's sleep. And it's not to say that those don't work, but I really think you cannot discount the power of just good quality sheets and how much that can transform your sleep. I told you guys about these before, but as far as I'm concerned, Bowl and Branch are the best sheets on the market. And I think for me, the thing that like makes them so good is that they're really soft and luxurious while also being breathable. So they kind of work in all weather and their signature sheets are their best seller. They come in 14 versatile colors in all sizes from twin up to California King. I have them in the color stone. I have them in the color mineral. I have the waffle blank and I have so many things from this company. Everything is just quality and their sheets are made with the finest hundred percent organic cotton and completely free from toxins. Also, they said this, but I didn't really get it until I started using the sheets. They do get softer with every wash and you'll see that. I've gotten these as gifts for so many people and every single person has been a repeat customer. 
And there's a 30-night worry-free guarantee, so you can wash, style, and sleep in their sheets for an entire month. And if you don't love them, you can send them right back. Sleep better with the softest, most breathable bedding from Bolin Branch. Get 15% off your order when you use promo code CBC at BolinBranch.com. That's Bolin Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com, promo code CBC. Exclusions apply. See site for details. We got to talk about Miriam because there is so much here. She is, by definition, a ride or die in every aspect of her life. I know. And you know what's interesting? It's like, obviously watching this, you see that out of all of the siblings, she is one the closest with Julia, but also has the least issues with her. Like they, they seemingly really don't fight about anything. But even with that, their relationship is probably the most interesting to analyze. Oh my God, beyond so. I mean, listen, I think right off the bat, exactly what we were saying about the struggle that Bot and Julia had in terms of their understanding maybe of each other and their past and what has changed for them over time and leaving the community. Like there is a clear difference there that they're attempting to navigate where I think that with Miriam and Julia, they feel exactly on the same page about everything. And they feel so connected by their experience that it gives them a very different bond than she's going to have with the other kids. Yes. And the way that she feels about Julia is more than just a love, more than just a respect and an admiration. It is like a deep adoration. I genuinely believe she thinks that Julia is one of the finest human beings to ever walk this earth because to her, that's what she has been. I think in every aspect of her life, she would ideally want to emulate Julia. And so Julia feels that. And of course, like what a feeling as a parent, specifically as a mother to a daughter, to know that your child views you in that light. But then on top of it, she also views Miriam in that way. You know, she's willing to make her the CTO at 22 years old, not just for a nepotism thing. Like she genuinely thinks she's capable. She's not putting Shlomo as CTO. Like there is really a, a way that Julia, I think, respects and has so much confidence in Miriam and her mind and her intelligence and her loyalty. And it is a deeply connected bond that is admittedly a little bit codependent, but it's there. It's real. Right. And it clearly works for them. And I also think that something there is despite the relationship that they have, I don't think that Julia loses the ability to to be a mother to her in the way that she needs. So when Miriam is saying, you know, I'm, I'm marrying Natalie, no matter what, like if Natalie needs a green card, and she needs to stay in this country. Like, I don't care that I'm 23. I will be doing this. And Julia's like, first of all, absolutely not. Like, we will do whatever we can to figure this out. And like, we will do everything in our power. But like, that is just simply not an option. And I won't allow it to be an option. And also like, you are confessing to what is essentially a crime on reality television. So like, even further, we won't be doing that. But exactly what we were kind of saying about our own, where her ability to maybe just say yes to make them happy could be so easy, but is admittedly just not the right option. That's kind of how she approaches Miriam as well. I also think that with Miriam, it's a little harder to do because their relationship is seemingly less mother child and a lot more just friend. And they have a very mutual respect for each other um, that kind of goes past just being mother and child. And so when you have those moments where you zone in, where she, you know, remembers that her kid is only 23. I think those are the moments where you really see their relationship come to light as well. Right. And also the reason that Julia's 
able to parent in that way and sometimes have these rather unconventional solutions to things is one because of her profound ability to problem solve, but also that is supplemented with her access to resources. You know, any parent hearing that from their kid, no matter how much they like the partner would say this, no, this is a red flag. We're not doing this. Uh, In addition to what you said about it being illegal and them basically confessing it. Like, this is not the right move. But not everyone can say, we are going to do every single thing in our power to figure this out. I have the best immigration lawyers there are. We do this for a living. We have, we do this on a daily basis for, you know, all of our, all of our models. Like, Julia has an arsenal of resources that are available to help problem solve these really difficult parenting situations that most people don't have access to, you know, financially, connection wise, whatever it is. So, and to her credit, like if you have it, use it. She's able to, to do that. But that can't be lost in the discussion because you have if if Miriam didn't trust Julia's ability to get Natalie a green card through other avenues, I promise you the conversation would not be as seamless. That cannot be lost in this is the fact that Julia, as a parent, is able to give her kids everything that they could ever need, want, desire. I mean, have the resources to do it all cannot be lost in the conversation of her parenting. I do think that where it kind of connects and it's like, okay, it's not just her resources that she has, it's her willingness to use those resources to help her kids. But yeah, I mean, it cannot be lost in the conversation that so much of her ability is about access. Right. And then she uses that access, which isn't a given. I mean, there are a lot of supremely wealthy people that do not use what they have to help others, whether it's their kids or otherwise. And so I do think that she makes the best of what she has and what she's worked for in order to, you know, help make positive changes in the lives of people that she cares about. And yeah, are the kids spoiled? Absolutely. But with that kind of money, they were never not going to be. I think also though, in terms of Miriam, like, thank God that that didn't go through, not that it ever was because her and Natalie aren't even together. I mean, they made a TikTok just a few days ago on good terms, but talking about how they're exes. So like, that was another thing that because of the standard that Julia holds Miriam to, and for good reason, I think that we also sometimes forget she's 22 or 23, you know, like this was a a relatively new relationship. I think one of her first relationships. So that's also something to note. I wonder if they get back together because it does seem I'm so curious about what happened from when the show ended to when it aired in terms of just Natalie and her green card situation and her citizenship, because it does seem like based on the TikTok, she is here. So I wonder if they if they do ever get back together because she really was and had become a part of the family. I mean, when when Bacheva is doing her clear cut line and you see that at the end when she's modeling for that, she names one of the pieces in the collection after Natalie, because the collection is supposed to be about, you know, women in her life that are strong and powerful to her and that she respects so much. And Natalie, you know, gets that nod. And so, and everywhere they went, Natalie came with them. I mean, she really was like, (laughs) she, she was like the other part of the family, like Robert to them. And so I wonder if that is at all the case still, or if they are, I don't know, maybe going to get back together or or they'll figure out a way to stay really close friends. But I'm so curious about that situation. Yeah, me too, because we didn't really see that much of just them. I mean, there were a few things, but it was mostly how Natalie fit into the family, which admittedly was seamlessly. But I, I don't know enough about their own relationship separately. What did you think about the fight that they had at Miriam's birthday party? Oh, <laughs> it was like, 
it was like an obvious example of two things at play. One, Miriam just having a little lack of awareness. Like, I don't care how chill the person is. You don't need to two feet away from your girlfriend be talking about how this person was your sexual awakening. But also Natalie was like super drunk and handled it a little bit dramatically. And there was like a clear miscommunication there, but it was, that was really the only time that we saw them fight. And it was such an interesting start to like our glimpse of their relationship, because what we saw in that, I think it was the second episode of the season, but like what we saw in their initial interactions with each other, we were like, Ooh, maybe everything's not so, so kosher here. But then as the relationship progressed, they had nothing like that again. And so it was like, oh, that really was just like a kind of a one-off thing. And so I am curious having that in mind that that fight did occur, whether or not it was a situation like that, that maybe played a role in their breakup, or if it was just like a really amicable, you know, we're both really young, you're still figuring out things, you're needing of a green card and I'm not going to marry you and like whatever factors led to it. If it was just a really amicable split in that way. Uh, yeah. It's, I mean, they're seemingly on, on good terms. I was, I was trying to think like how I would have reacted in that situation if I was Natalie. And I think, I think I would have said something after the fact, like, I don't think I would have walked away. It shouldn't do anything wrong. I'm literally just saying how, like how I think I would have, I, I think I, I don't know. I think I probably would have just said something after the fact. Like, was that necessary? <laughs> don't you think it was a little bit bold? Oh, yeah. I mean, first of all, I think they both uh, had very valid parts of their argument. I just know that, like, if I'm at my girlfriend's birthday party, I'm going to wait to have a discussion. Like, let right. her have her night and then we can talk about it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But it, it would have been something that I noticed, I think, especially also, though, her interpretation of it was just incorrect. So that's also why she was more pissed. Like if she right. if she was hearing what she thought she was hearing, then, yeah, that's a whole different situation. A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. What else is there? I'm like going through this outline. I, there's so much, Julie. We're going to leave here with so many things unsaid. We would be remiss to not give a little special shout out to Yosef and his adorable wife. Oh, Aliza, they, he's a good father. Yes. And that was an, a huge part of the Arone conversation is the two of them being on the same page. And also a part that was really important in Julia sharing her story about her family. And I, that was such an interesting part too, about how her sister Hannah doesn't speak to her anymore, even though she was in the show last season. But when she talks about Yosef's wife basically receiving a lot of backlash from the community about having this relationship with Julia. And she says in return, like, this is family, like none of that. And they backed off and they shut it down and it was not a discussion again. And Julia sitting there being like, wow, look how easy it is. Like if my family did that and they shut everybody down and said, no, this is family. We're not doing this. We could have had that relationship too. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that Julia feels a really deep bond to her because that, you know, it, I think in general, Julia would value loyalty, but specifically in the face of what she's dealt with, she values it way more than your average person does. And so for Elisa to show that type of loyalty when technically she doesn't have to, that counts more for Julia than it would for your average person based on her her trauma. Right. And I completely understand that. Of course. Of course. Yeah. I wonder also what's going to happen with the house because last we heard she's renting it out for 125 grand a month. I don't know where she's living. I don't know if she's living in the Hamptons, if she's living somewhere else, but 
you know, what's going to happen with that? There's a lot of money still at stake here. I know Silvio dropped most of those lawsuits, but you know, there's still a lot of money that's going to need to be divided. Yeah, absolutely. My guess is that page six article that came out that said that Julia was renting out the apartment for 125,000 a month was, it came out in July. My guess is that she stayed in the Hamptons for the summer, rented it out during the summer and is probably back living there now, if I had to guess. Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't know who owns the house. It's probably both of them, but she could also rent out that Hamptons house in the summer if she wanted to think about it. She could get easy 500 grand for the summer there. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's just, this is quite the show. I also like, can't believe we've never seen her anywhere. Like, you know what I I mean? I've never once seen her on the street. I've never seen any of them. That feels so, I don't know. Don't you feel like you would, we would have seen her at Sarabeth or something? I know. I I'm, I was shocked by that too. I was actually thinking about that the whole time. I'm more shocked that I haven't seen Bacheva. Like Julia seems like out of the apartment into the Bentley. And like, I can understand that. The fact that we've never seen her at dinner, anything like that. Yeah. A little surprising. Bacheva that we've never seen. I feel like we are like at any given point, like 10 feet from her. Yeah, I know. Would you want to have Julia on the podcast? Like, is that something we'd want to do at any point? Because I think last season we didn't. And I, I the episode last season that we did was very different than this. I mean, so much of that. I remember like really thinking that through and, and there was a lot of serious conversations that were going on around that episode, whereas this was so different. It was such a different storyline, but I kind of would want to talk to her. Like I, because I so appreciate someone where there's no bullshit. Like I love going deep with people right off the bat, you know, that's like my drug. And I feel like we could get really deep with her, like in the first two minutes. Let's do it. Would you want to do that? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking about it as if it's totally feasible. I don't even know if she's doing press right now, but something to consider. (laughs) Is there anything else from this that you want to mention? I mean, yes, but I think for now I'm I'm okay (laughs) leaving the episode where we left it. I am sure I will text you as soon as we finish recording saying, oh my God, we forgot to talk about this, but I feel like we really covered our bases here. Yeah. There's more with Robert also. I mean, talk about someone to have on. I know. And by the way, I don't want to get into the whole thing because I know we're wrapping up the episode, but I didn't, in, in the fight with Robert and Julia, I, I harshly, harshly disagreed with where Julia was coming from. Oh, you can't just say that and not get into it. Speak a little bit more on that. Exactly what we were saying about Julia and her sense of loyalty, which I think is so important to her and so understandable. I think that with a really strong sense of loyalty also has to come the understanding that not everybody is going to handle things exactly as you want them handled and not everybody is capable of handling things exactly as you want them handled, especially when they have something going on in their own life. And so I understood what she was saying to Robert and where she felt that, you know, he maybe could have acted a little differently or stepped up a little bit more. I just think it was an unnecessary point to bring up. He was there every single second. He was also dealing with his own stress. He was also dealing with his own concerns. I I just felt like it was maybe, I don't know if it was misplaced or if it was um, not necessarily handled with the same grace towards Robert that I would have expected her to have in that moment. Yeah, I've... I just feel like Robert is such a ride or die and has been such a ride or die that you build up a certain amount of credit with a person where 
that if they don't handle something in the exact way you maybe would envision them to, you still know where their loyalty lies and that they're not just a fair weather friend. And I think that Robert has proven time and time again, he is so clearly not a fair weather friend that I think the intensity of the reaction was potentially a little bit uncalled for, but I, I'd be lying if I said I don't appreciate her for saying it. I mean, the last thing you want to do is harbor resentment for a person. So even if I don't think she was entirely right, I'd still rather her say it than not say it because they worked through it. Of course, of course. The one part that I really felt was misplaced or incorrect or not a fair point to bring up was when she said, you know, you haven't even asked me how I am. Like blah, blah, is calling me every single day, checking in and asking how I am. And it's like, he has been there the entire time. He knows exactly how you are because he is sitting in that living room with you, seeing that you are so blatantly not okay. And so that was one part that I really was like, I could understand um, certain things that she brought up and certain areas in which she was upset. That was one that didn't, that didn't land for me. Yeah. I hear that. I hear that. I, I think in general, I just, it's like, we know Robert, we know his character. And if he's handling something in a certain way, clearly it's because it's also hitting him deeply. I just, yeah. Fucking love the show. Can't wait for season three. Really want to talk to Julia, but really more so want to run into her and God, great, great television. Thank you for being on the air. And thank you guys for pushing us to watch it because that was so the move. Yeah, thank you, because I really actually don't think that I would have if people weren't DMing us. We love you guys. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. 